Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 42, where my guest will be Pamela Morrison, daughter of James J. Dillon. And I believe this is the first time I've done something like this, um, the, the, the child of a famous wrestler. Um, this is a lot of fun, and it was very interesting. We'll get to it in a second. I'll introduce Pam. Before I get to that, I want to make mention of a couple of things. Top of mind right now, well, even before I get to that, I want to say thank you to uh, a lot of the people that have given so much positive feedback for last week's episode, episode 41 with Vandal Drummond, uh, Kurt Brown. Vandal is a one-of-a-kind personality, and it's a pleasure always to talk to him. And I was just really glad to be able to capture some of the that conversation um, on audio for all of you to listen to. But uh, he is really just a treasure trove of great memories. And I'm looking forward to having him back on here again at some point. Um, that said, moving along, the, what I did want to mention was um, the next issue of Inside the Ropes, number 26, which is on pre-sale now. It's available for pre-order. It's got Jim Cornette on the cover. It's a fantastic cover that you will never forget if you see it. You may have seen it floating around online, but I'm plucking it right now because that is the issue that has in it part one of my breakdown of the um, North American professional wrestling territories. We did a two-part article it was just too much to hold in one article. We did a two-parter on uh, breaking down all the territories and kind of uh, in, in the United States and Canada. That's what we limited it to. And uh, just just a, a, a mini article on each territory and, and information on each one and time periods that they were active and that sort of thing. But, but even better than that, what comes with it is a gatefold, uh, centerfold map, poster map of the territorial system, Canada and the United States, color-coded the whole nine yards, perfect for framing, perfect for your wall, uh, your birdcage, wherever you might want to put it. But um, it's sort of an update of the territorial map that I did back in WWE's SmackDown magazine in um, 2006, I believe it was, or five. And I've been sort of itching to update it, fix it, correct it ever since. And I finally got my chance Super proud of this thing. So please go to InsideTheRopesMagazine.com and pre-order this issue now. And if it happens to be available for real, for real, just order the thing because you're going to love it. Um, thank you. Before we get to the to the Pam Morrison interview, I do want to uh, make mention of the passing of a wrestling legend that I just uh, discovered this morning. 
Um, actually, it was Brian Last that informed me of this, but um, Carl von Steiger, who uh, real name Lorne Corlett, he was one half of the famous or infamous von Steiger's uh, tag team, along with Kurt von Steiger. They were uh, really 60s, 70s, out west, Pacific Northwest, San Francisco area, Stampede Wrestling, even out in Hawaii. Uh, they started in the um, Manitoba, Manitoba region, the Winnipeg Territory in the 60s. And um, so Carl von Steiger, a.k.a. Lorne Corlett, passed away uh, yesterday. And so I just wanted to uh, make mention of that. And our thoughts and prayers are with the friends and family of Carl von Steiger, a.k.a. Lorne Corlett. Now I'd like to get to this uh, fascinating conversation with the daughter of another wrestling legend, James J. Dillon, J.J. Dillon, Jim Dillon, however you knew him, a man with a lengthy career. And I think you're going to be amazed at some of the stories that Pam has, because I know that I was. Uh, and this conversation goes in some crazy places, and it's so much fun, and it's so interesting how candid and sincere uh, Pam was in this conversation, just like she always is. It's been a pleasure really to get to know her over the past couple of years. So I hope you enjoy the interview and I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so this week on Shut Up and Wrestle, it is my pleasure to welcome somebody who I just found out two minutes ago. This is the first podcast that she's ever done which makes it even more amazing and special and like i told her i feel like less of a pain in the ass for asking her to do it because it's the first time um this is going to be very interesting and it's a topic i'm fascinated by uh, the idea of the children of famous and legendary pro wrestlers and pro wrestling figures and just what that experience is like uh you know because they have a different view from the rest of of us, you know, growing up this way in the business, it's just such a fascinating topic. So she is the daughter of the legendary manager and wrestler. And I want to stress wrestler because we're going to talk about that. Everybody knows him as a manager these days uh, of the of the four horsemen, J.J. Dillon, the daughter of J.J. Dillon, Miss Pamela Morrison. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, I did say you could steal my thunder by saying this was my first podcast. So, um, but it is, it is. And full, full disclosure, um, I was supposed to be on a podcast um, last month and um, personal circumstances happened that I, I wasn't able to be on. I was supposed to join um, two other friends. And I think it was because I was meant to do my first one on my own. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of, it's kind of funny how it worked out, but I'm, I'm really, I was so flattered, um, when you mentioned it, um, because of course I, I think the world of you and I was, I was actually really, really flattered because, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm so proud of my dad, um, of his career, of all, that that he's done um of what he means in the world of wrestling to his fans um and i am i know how privileged i was 
to grow up the way that I did and be able to have had the viewpoint that I had, see the things that I had that I saw, <laughs> um, you know, some of which we can talk about, many of which we can't. Um, but you know, and because not only because uh, you know, obviously everybody didn't didn't have that opportunity. I mean, it, you know, it was a, it was a very closed uh, circle, but. Um, also because those days are long gone, you know, the way mm-hmm. things were at the time, you know, with, with kayfabe and, and everything else. So it was a, it was a very different world and to be able to be, you know, part of it um, behind the scenes, not always really fully understanding, you know, what was going on to, to, to be truthful um, in the very beginning Um but especially later on, just realizing, you know, just, I mean, I, I was, I was very, very privileged to be able to to see the things that I did and just to be able to be part of it and to be on the road and just to have had the experiences. And so I, I'm, I'm very, I know I'm very lucky. And like I said, I've always been very proud of my dad, very proud of his accomplishments. I'm so glad that you mentioned um, him as a wrestler first, because of course, you know, when all this started, I think I was maybe maybe like 12 when I first started going on the road with him and he was wrestling then. I mean, right. he was predominantly wrestling. He did a couple like managing gigs, but um, you know, he, he put on the old uh, red and blue trunks you know, <laughs> with the, the red and blue jacket. Occasionally I like would tease him, you know, in the last like 20 years about, cause that, that was always, that's what I would see him wrestle in and like only that. And it's like, oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> it just cracks me up now, but um, yeah. So I, I, you know, he, he had a great, he did have a great career. He had over 3,200 and some matches before, before he became a manager and um, very proud of everything he did throughout his career. So and and then talk about and then also, you know, because I mean, your dad, I know, I even know from speaking with him, your dad's a very well-educated man, a very intelligent yes. man. He was able to um, go on and be an executive and have a lot yes. of power in the business, which, you know, a lot of wrestlers don't get a chance to do because shall we just say they're really not cut out for it. And your dad was. And so even beyond the managing, he, I mean, God, he was, um, wasn't he, I think when, uh, he was head of talent relations at WWF right before Jim Ross, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because yeah. when when I got there in 2000, it was Jim Ross, mm-hmm. um, and and I think at that point your dad was with WCW, or maybe I think yes. he might have gotten out right before they went out of business, or but he was involved with them again. But the the wrestling part's important to me because you know I grew up in in the 80s watching the Four Horsemen and and. Yeah. Um, and I was one of those kids that I only knew J.J. Dillon as a manager. And the more I mm-hmm. learned about wrestling and the history and finding old tapes and things and seeing, oh, my God, you know, th- th- this guy had a whole career and a-, a full-time wrestler. I always thought it was odd. And maybe you can shed some light. But not only in the, in those years, in, in, you know, Crockett years, not only did they really w- – was he strictly a manager? But they would do this thing where every now and then he would – be forced to wrestle somebody right yes and he yeah. would act like oh my god i have no idea yes. what i'm doing i'm, I'm just yes. this goofy manager i i don't know how to wrestle and meanwhile he probably had more experience no not probably he definitely 
than any of the people that he was working with. So yes. why why did that happen? Because he wasn't even, you know, I mean, yes, when I'm 12 years old, I'm thinking all the rest, all the managers are old. He was a young guy. I mean, he was the age, he was not that much older than most of the wrestlers. How did that happen that he that he settled into that manager role? I think that was all just, you know, that was part of it. He was the, you know, the older, wiser, you know, and I, he always corrects anybody that, that says, oh, you were the manager that he, you know, he always puts his finger up the leader. He's the leader of the four horsemen, but, you know, the older, wiser leader, although, you know, from like the older perspective, when you actually like look at ages, you know, like to your point. (laughs) age wise he you know he did just have his 80th birthday earlier this year but when you look at you know the original four horsemen and you know where at rick's age and ollie's age and everything he it's not like he's you know 15 years 10 years older than than some of the other guys um he he was the age i'm sorry to interrupt you but he was the age at the time of the horseman he was the age that I am now, you know, right, <laughs> you know, right. and I mean, I'm I'm not a kid or anything, but I'm not, you know what I mean? It's like you, you, you think of him as, oh, he's like this, he's past his career and he's done. And he, he really could have kept wrestling if he'd wanted to, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, it all, it, it's funny because, um, you know, and he talks about how, um, just how a lot of, a lot of it evolved and, and, um, you know, I mean, I mean, he certainly tells all of those stories far better than I ever could, but I think when it, when it came to the, to the horseman and specifically the example that you gave of, um, you know, him being put in that position and, and like, there's one match, you know, that, that I love where he's like doing everybody's finish, you know, like <laughs> he's doing like the slingshot suplex and the, you know, the, the belly to belly. And I can't even remember like who the poor, you know, uh, opponents are that are, that are taking this, you know, punishment. Um, and of course he's not executing like, you know, he's deliberately cause right. you know, just as, as part of, um, you know, how, how it's to be done, not, not doing it, you know, um, certainly as well as he could, but I think it's, uh, it is a testament, you know, again, like to his ability to how, but that was, that was the thing. It's like, he was not there for his athletic ability or for his wrestling expertise. He was there in that role for his mind of the leader, you know, the diabolical thinking, the way to, you know, how are they going to get, What's the next, you know, move to, to, you know, get ahead of whoever Dusty had in his entourage. And I mean, that was just all, all part of it. So if he were to get in the ring and all of a sudden, you know, really like put on some kind of show, it would, it would take away from like, well, like, what the heck, what's this, you know, he's well he's wearing this suit and tie and really like they could tag him in at any time and he would be able to I know Tully always says he still says like to this day he teases my dad about he there's nobody that takes a bump better than my dad like that he takes like the perfect bump he always he still says it like the last time I don't remember where we were the last time that they were together and he always says like oh JJ and his perfect bump. <laughs> well they they used him on uh AEW used him on one of the early dynamite episodes that might have mm-hmm. been 
when because i remember and he even broke out the old shoe you know he yeah, handed yeah. them he passed off his dangerous uh deadly shoe to be used as a foreign object yeah but- which i i don't know i've heard people say that he's done that i've never seen it i don't believe it <laughs> <laughs> see see now somebody posted this i wish i could take credit for this but it's just a great thought about your dad in that um there's a skill here's the thing you're talking about somebody who it's it's like somebody who's a great singer and they have to pretend to not sing well or sing mm-hmm. badly or a really great actor who has to play a bad actor. And we've seen mm-hmm. people do that in movies and it, it's hard to do. And you've got someone who's a great worker and he has to pretend that he's not. There's a certain skill in that. Like you have to. You know, you, you're you're giving the impression like I've never been in a wrestling ring before. Right, right. I'm trying right. to figure it out, and meanwhile, you've been wrestling for 20 years or something. 15. Right, right. Yeah, you've wrestled like you know by that point 3,000 matches, and I'm trying to think, and and it just escaped me. I was going to look and see if I could figure out the. I think he calls it the holy gully, the thing where he gets like wrapped up in the ropes, you know, the thing that he used to always do. Tully used to call it something. Um, I think that's, but, you know, again, to that same kind of thing where he would get, you know, when he'd get involved in, you know, something in in the match and then, you know, they'd get him, the opponents would get him like all tangled up in the ropes and he'd flip around and, you know, but again, like he was so inept as far as in the ring and, and being able to do anything that he just, and, but, you know, I mean, people, people love to hate him. So they, they well, all the horsemen and they, they loved to see that. So they loved, you know, anytime they were getting what was perceived as their comeuppance in, in any capacity, it was like, you know, oh, good. Like, get him in there, and right. He oh. he was he was like the 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 face of the horseman, and and yep. in a way, he kind of reminds me. He has reminded me of Bobby Heenan a lot because Bobby was also an incredible worker. That the, the mm-hmm. you know people didn't realize this, or they should. But the difference was with Bobby, where he he transitioned extremely early in his career. To managing, and I think what I gathered from talking to people was just because the the look that he had, he just didn't have the look of a wrestler. Like, he had all the tools and skills, but, you know, he could work circles around people, and but they would go, yeah, you don't really look like a a wrestler that's going to draw money. So, but... But he could work so incredibly well, and and like you're saying, one one of your dad's great gifts is bumping... And that's what Bobby was known for, too, is just yeah. flying all over the ring, you know, just yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's it's and yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's did you that's now? Good. Oh, sorry. No, I don't want to interrupt your thought. No, I was going to say with the kayfabe thing you mentioned before and not always kind of really fully knowing what was going on. And, you know, as a kid, you're you're watching your dad get beat up and. I don't know if he was always like this, but I know in the horseman years, uh, there was a lot of blood. He was very, uh, you know, he was in that flare category of if you, if you stared hard at him, he would start bleeding. So would you, I mean, how clued in were you to, because sometimes I read about wrestlers who would keep their kids in the dark, even though the kids were like being traumatized, like, oh my God, these people are trying to kill my dad. And they would not clue them in even to, assure them they were okay. Yeah, what was, no, my what was dad your never, experience like? 
No, he never told me anything. Wow. No, I never, I, he never told me anything. And I, and I always say like, um, the, you know, there were, everybody was always very nice to me, like very, um, like the, the boys, you know, everybody was, was always, uh, you know, they just were always just genuinely like very nice people. Um, but I was always, and the, the early years when I would, what, what happened, um, is my, you know, and you talked about my dad being very well educated. Um, my, my father and my mother met in college. Um, they, they both went to a, a small school, um, in Pennsylvania, which is where, where they met, um, you know, got married, had me, um, not too long after that, um, you know, split up, divorced, went their separate ways. And, um, so my relationship with my dad, as far as spending a lot of time with him, because he, you know, he, he didn't break into the business. I mean, I think they divorced, maybe he was like 27, 26, 27, 28. So he was just getting into like the refereeing, things like that. But, you know, he was obviously like looking for a way into the business. He would have moved wherever it took, wherever he would get a break. So by the time I started being able to, was old enough to like spend summers with him, go on the road with him. Um, I think I was like, I think I was about 12 and he, he didn't, he didn't tell me, you know, anything. I mean, I knew what he did. You know, I would always like, be the first one in the, you know, the aisle at the grocery store, like looking in the magazines to see if he was in any magazines. I'm obviously like, you know, kept in touch with him and things like that and and would see him regularly. But as far as like spending a whole summer or anything, that didn't happen until, until I was about 12 years old. And, and he never said anything, never said anything. And I remember um, kind of being like upset at um we went to an amusement park he he barely he rarely had days off if i was there the whole sure. summer and he'd have like one day off you know that was like a big thing um we might go to like six flags or something um and i remember we were at that's that's where this happened we were at like a six flags um in texas or a place like that and um, somebody came up to him and asked him for his autograph. And he was like, no, you know, get away mm. from me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> I was just shocked. Like, why would he do? Why would he act like that? You know, I was so surprised <laughs> and um, just kind of like taken aback. And just, you know, I, I was he would he would say he was OK, like we'd get in the car, you know, to go home after the matches. And of course, people hated him. Um, and a lot of times, you know, he'd have been bleeding. He'd still kind of be bleeding, have his white, you know, towel. Um, I have always a white towel because the, right. you know, it, it's the visual look at the blood against right. the white towel if you want <laughs> for the visual effect. Um, but he, I was always like, are you okay? Are you, you were bleeding. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And, you know, I remember like the one summer, I think it was the second summer, um, you know, was in Dallas with like Fritz von Eric with the claw, <laughs> 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 and, um, who I wasn't 
as nervous about Fritz, but I remember I was so scared of Blackjack Mulligan. I just like, he just frightened me. I think his, his size alone, just because he was just such a large man, you know, his height and like, he was just the darkness with a dark cowboy hat and just, I don't know. I, and, but he never said, you know, um, like I'm fine, you know, or, or if, if something was going to be like, especially brutal, I never got like, (laughs) Hey, heads up, you know, it was always just like, here's money for popcorn. And (laughs) (laughs) because I would go out and sit in the stands and then I'd know, you know, where to look. I mean, I, there was like a certain place that I was supposed to sit where he could see where I was and then where I could see for him to like poke his head out of the curtain to wave for when I'm, when I'm supposed to come back, you know, for me, for us to like leave, or if he wanted me to come back, if something's going to get especially crazy or something, but no, I never, I never knew. I mean, I never knew, you know, until I started to like put things together. Right. Like, like yeah. all of us do just in the normal yeah, way. Yeah. Right? But- yeah. But you know what? It was like the way that the way things were were done then i mean it was it wasn't like easy to put together because they were so careful like we would leave the matches and you know the first stop was like the convenience store for ice and beer and you know whoever was riding with us i mean my dad had a, a conversion van um with like there was no seats in the back it was uh there was like one bench seat across the back. So, and two captain's chairs up front. So it was great because you could like lay in the back, you know, you could sit on the bench seat, you could lay on the bench seat. Like people could get really comfortable back there. There was like a, you know, there was like plenty of room. Um, So whoever rode with us always was like a heel or heels, whoever. Um, the first stop was a convenience store. And if we'd pull up or we'd go to turn in and like, you know, baby faces were already there. Like we wouldn't stop there. Like you wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like there, right. there was never. Um, so even as a, as like a 12 year old, and I know 12 year olds are like so much more savvy now than 12 year olds were then obviously. So a 12 year old now would be like, uh, all right, figured it out right away. But um so it, you know, even that kind of, um, lended itself to, okay, well this, you know, I think he really does hate him. Um, but you know, they were, I mean, everybody, it, it, there was, you know, it, everything was kayfabe. So, um, so, they were really careful. I mean, and, and in Texas, um, there were a lot of, it wasn't like, the other territories he was in, well, Kansas City, there were some overnight trips too. Florida was pretty much home every night. But in Texas, um, you know, there were a lot of like overnight trips just because of it was like kind of like a loop. So we'd go sometimes for a couple of days just to make the different towns. And um, I mean, wherever we'd go, like, you know, you weren't you weren't being like chummy, you know, with right. with the baby faces. So much to my chagrin once I met Carrie Von Eric, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you're waiting, you're waiting for Carrie to turn heel. Right. So he could start riding around with your dad. Right. So I'm trying to get a picture in my head of this idea now. The, so 
basically there would be what I'm gathering. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there would be times where you know you would be with your dad for X mm-hmm. amount of time, spending time with your dad, not with your mom. Yeah. And so when you were with him, then you would be going to all these shows if he was working. Like he would take you with him, assuming yeah. you weren't in school or whatever, right? Well, it was all summer, like summer, all summer. summer. When okay. I was out of school, and then I'd spend um, the day after Christmas until like the second week of January with him too. So it was, and I'd you- I'd go with him on the road. Yep. Was it just the two of you or were there siblings or anybody? It was just no, you just and your dad. No, just the two of us. Wow. Just the two of us. Yep. What an experience. Yeah. But talk, I mean, you should be the one writing a book. That is. Wow. wow. What a, well, you can only put the things in that you want to put in. That's all. Uh, I but know. Well, what you an know experience. What? It, My God. Yeah. I mean, it It was, I, I like I said, that's where I, I said, like, I was so. Um, lucky. And when, when my dad wrote, wrote his book, which, you know, came out, um, in 2005. So what, 17 years ago, and I did write the foreword to his book. I was, um, really flattered. Scott Teal had asked me to write the foreword, um, to my dad's book. And, and I was really thrilled because I've always known like how, like I said, how privileged I was and how lucky I was because, most families either were, you know, um, as intact as like a wrestling family can be, you know, and either like the kids were with the, the mother or the stepmother or whatever that was there. My stepmother, I, cause my dad was remarried to a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, I, I, I she was wonderful. But I think because I was like old enough and she was really encouraging for me to have a relationship with my dad. Um, And I've always been like a lot like him in a lot of ways. So, you know, like we kind of like the same thing. I know that sounds (laughs) weird, like a 12 year old kid and like a, you know, 40 year old man, but um, (laughs) Like, I like the same youth, like, you know, he'd have at that point, I mean, I think the first, the first year or two, it was like eight track tapes. And then we, you know, graduated to cassette tapes, but, um, you know, like I like the same music he liked, like it was just, you know, even now, like when we go on these trips together, like, cause I travel with him when he has appearances, just cause it's easier for him. I mean, like I said, he was 80 on his last birthday and since about the end of 2019, I think any, any appearance or anything he has, I, I travel with him and he always says, Oh, this is just like the old days, but now you're driving, you know? And it's (laughs) like, yeah, you know, because it's the same, like we kind of listen to the same music, the same, you know, um, have the same snacks, the same, (laughs) you know, it's just funny, um, less alcohol involved, but, um, that's good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, while, while we're talking about all this, I, I also wanted to talk about briefly how um, I got to know you and your dad, because it's one of these things where, for me, um, getting back involved in doing wrestling stuff again, as I have the past few years, it has helped get me in touch with just amazing people that you meet in ways that you don't expect. So like we we started crossing paths just 
from a lot of these events on the road, like International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, Cauliflower Alley, and mm-hmm. and you know, I, I so I, I it what it just kept happening where I'm sitting at at a bar, and I don't mean to say you guys are always at the bar, but I'm sitting at a bar. I look <laughs> over, and there's you and your dad, and I'm just like, wow, here we are again. <laughs> and, and, and that, where I was eating, I want to say, yes, and, uh, and I think we were all, but I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's it's just these serendipitous kind of meetings that, and he, now here we are doing this, and I've yeah. I've probably I've I've only I've known you maybe a little over a year, but but we just keep running into each other, so I just think it's really cool because from from my point of view, also, um, I never. I don't know. Like I worked at WWE for seven years and they try to beat out of you the idea of being a fan. And and, and it's not just WWE, but in the wrestling business, you don't want to be a mark. And there's this kind of stigma. Like if you, if you act like you like it too much, or if you, or if you mark out for the wrestlers, they're, they're going to look down on you. So I'm always so cautious to do that. I really, I've just been trained that way. But when I saw your dad, it's just one of those times where I'm just like, I can't, hold this in i have to go over and i don't do this all the time but i just had to do it i had to do it i had to start a conversation with him and he was and is such a nice guy and not only that but but he he genuinely wanted to talk and have a conversation it wasn't like yeah leave me alone yeah i'm eating you know whatever he was very engaged and actually one of the reasons that i wanted to go over too other than just being a fan was I did the book on the Sheik, and um, what I didn't know while I was writing it, and I wish I had because I would have reached out to you, is that you know the Sheik was kind of a mentor to your dad and helped him yeah. out early in his career. And I found that out after the book was finished, and I remember going, oh, my God, he would have been perfect to talk to. So that was sort of like an icebreaker. I went over and just started talking about the Sheik, and he absolutely lit up Yes, to the, to the point where, like, you know, he took over the whole conversation talking about the Sheik. Yes. Yes. He, he, and um, I mean, I remember that really well. And I, he, he does that whenever the Sheik comes up. So, I mean, I know, you know, that, that is, uh, that's something I, I remember really well because he can't explain in words because I think you can't really explain in words um, what it is about the sheik that makes made him, you know, especially like in the day. So is it frightening, intimidating? Yeah. All those Um, things. All of those (laughs) things that, that like, you know, my dad always says, just like seeing him across the room and it's like, like he could give you such an uneasy feeling like just when he turned that on like that, just, you know, <laughs> right. I've, I've even heard from people like that who knew him personally, yeah. who would see him when he was himself normal. And then there'd be yeah. other times where they would go, Oh my God, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little nervous here. How far is he yeah. going to take this? Like, what yeah. would he, what would he do if I didn't sell it? <laughs> what would he do? <laughs> If I didn't get out of the way, would he actually cut me or hurt me? How far is he going to take it? You know? Right. Right. Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah, yeah. So he, cause he talks about how just, you know, talk about like just having such a gift and being so good at 
what you do and your character that, you know, even people in the business, people like just can recognize like this is right. You know, this, this guy, <laughs> like I'm not even sure what's going <laughs> on here. This guy. So yeah, he, he has just the utmost respect and ha- the utmost respect and gratitude. Absolutely. So I know he, he really just did enjoy that conversation having, um, and he bought the book this year at Cauliflower Alley because. Yes. And, um, and I, it was Kevin Sullivan who who brought him over to buy it. Ke- Kevin has become my number one kind of, I feel like I should give him a cut of this, of the, of the sales of the book. He's become like my uh, advance man or something. Just, he has had such amazing praise for the book and, and, he brought your dad over to my table and, you know, and, and your dad insisted, I was going to give him one. Your dad insisted on paying for it. Yeah, I, I was, was going s- to just give it to him. No, he, I was going to say he, he would have been, he would have been insulted if you wouldn't have let him pay for it. I know that because like, yeah, I, he would have, he would have, yeah, he would have been insulted if you wouldn't have let him pay for it. But it's funny you say Kevin Sullivan. Cause when I was saying, when I was a kid um, being afraid of blackjack Mulligan, the other person that I was afraid of who now I mean, I just love dearly. And when I tell you, it's funny because he calls me, he calls me probably on average, I would say at least every other week. Wow. And, you know, I see his name come up and I, you know, I answer the phone and obviously, and, uh, Hey, Pammy, it's Kevin. I'm just <laughs> calling to check on you. How you doing? <laughs> it's Kev- like Kevin Sullivan. And he always, he just calls like, how's your dad? How are you doing? Is everything okay? Like he's just, and he's just, he is just such a great guy. Um, but when I was a kid and in Florida, when he was doing like the whole devil thing and oh my God, when he would roll his eyes back and, oh, and I think I was taller than him even then, like <laughs> at 12, because you know, I'm tall I, and <laughs> you know, I, like I shrank a little bit now, but you know, um, I, I just, oh, that wasn't that he was another one. Like when he goes into his little trance or whatever he would do, like, oh, that would just creep me out. (laughs) And he was great at it. And it's funny to talk to him because, you know, I mean, he's, he's, um, a guy from Massachusetts, you know, (laughs) he's a, he's an Irish guy from Massachusetts. Yep. He's the most down to earth. Oh my gosh. Salt of the the earth. Absolutely. And such a nice, like Irish Catholic, you know, (laughs) such a nice guy. Just such a genuinely nice guy. Yep. But it's just funny. It's funny because when he would, when he would go into his, his gimmick, that was, I mean, as a kid and, and then like, I didn't meet him till Florida. So by that time I was like 15, 16, um, and I knew, you know, I knew, I knew some things by then <laughs> I had put some things together, but even still Kevin was just like, I don't know, like he's creepy. Um, cause he, he could still kind of just like when he'd do that, it was just like, Oh, I don't know. He's channeling yeah. the devil or something. And that's funny. Cause with him, he'll always say, if you bring up the devil or Satan, 
He'll always say, I never said the devil. I never yep. said Satan. I'm yep. a practicing Roman Catholic. Oh, yep. I am not a Satanist. I said darkness, evil. I never yep. said the devil. He's yep. very careful. to. But the thing is, he didn't have to say it. Right. He was he so darn to. good at it. He right. was so good at it. He didn't even have to say it. But yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, he was another one. But yeah, there. I mean, there were so, and, and it's so funny because there are things like you forget, you know, like a friend of mine, there was, I guess there was a reunion or something somewhere in, uh, in Minneapolis and some of the old, I guess, AWA wrestlers were there. And she had a picture of Pat Tanaka, who's, whose father Duke worked in the office in Florida. And Pat was a referee when my dad was in Florida. And, um, you know, and I was like, Oh my, like I had forgotten, you know, and then you see this picture and it's like, Oh my gosh, Pat Tanaka, like he was a referee. And of course, Fonzie, Bill Alfonso was a referee in Florida. And I had seen Fonzie. Um, I hadn't seen him for years and years. And it's, it's so the thing that, that, you know, I guess it's good and it's bad. I mean, it's good and, and you know, depending what you were doing, I guess, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it's good. Um, but it would be great to have more pictures of, yes. you know, back in the day. Um, like, there's so many pictures of everything now. I mean, there's like, there, there's literally, you know, there's pictures of, of everything. Um, and I have some pictures of of, um, you know, growing up because I remember I would get, we'd get our pictures developed, um, at Kmart <laughs> mm. because Kmart was the one store we would go to because Kmart had a, uh, like a snack, a place that they sold candy and stuff in like the middle of the store and they had a hot air popper. So we would stop at Kmart if we were going, before we'd go on the road, my dad would stop at Kmart and get a big bag of fresh pop popcorn. That's what we would take as like yeah. our, our food, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the road. And, uh, but I remember I would get pictures developed there. So um, I had a, a, a camera and, you know, but everything, you know, it was just so different, but I had some pictures that I took over the course of the summer, you know, maybe like three rolls of film. So whatever that would be like 40 or 50 pictures from like an entire summer, that's probably even more than there than I had altogether. But, um, and I had a picture, I had a, a picture of my dad. It was in taken in Miami and it was my dad laying flat out on the mat, um, all bloody, um, you know, and it was, it must've been like some kind of a street match because he had on, um, he had on street clothes and Angelo Mosca was bent over him and he had on street clothes. He had on jeans and like a t-shirt and my dad had on dress pants and like a polo shirt and Angelo wasn't all bloody, but he was leaning over my dad. I think they were a tag team. And then Fonzie was like standing over my dad too, like looking down. And I, I had a picture of that. Um, cause I loved Angelo Mosca. He was just such a nice, he was always a very nice man too. Yeah. Um, just always like never made me feel like I was just like an annoying kid. He would always like talk to me and genuinely like, how are you? You know, how are you doing? Like, it just really like, I don't know, like a, a, like a father type or a grandfather type would like talk to a kid, you know? Um, 
So I had, I had that picture and then I had a picture of Angelo sitting with Terry Allen. My dad and stepmother had a New Year's Eve party um, one year uh, when we were in Florida, they had a New Year's Eve party. And that was, that was like not kayfabe. That was one party that we had that was not kayfabe because uh, I remember Terry Allen was there. Obviously he was in the picture and Barry Wyndham was there. Um, and they were, of course, baby faces. I don't remember the other baby faces that were there, but there were, you know, heels and baby faces together. But um, I had this picture and I saw Fonzie last April um, when WrestleMania was in Tampa and the the thing that ran with WrestleMania down there. Um, and I said, oh, my gosh, I have this picture. And he was like, he couldn't get over it. You know, it was like it was from whatever, like 1980, whatever it was, you know, and it just, cause Fonzie doesn't look that different really now. Like if you True. see him, you know, um, Bill Alfonso and it was just like, it's funny because it's, it's like, gosh, I wish I had a, you know, a camera at the time that took like the digital pictures and everything. And it wasn't like it was back then where you right. just had to have the film developed and you, <laughs> you know, you pointed and did the point and shoot and just crossed your fingers that when you get them developed and two weeks I later, know. you pick them up. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> it's so not true. A blurry, what was that supposed to be? So I know it, it's, I have, and it's off to my right here. If you can see, uh, you can't see it from here, but I have a wall of shelves where I've collected photos of my family, you know, of a lot of relatives who passed away. And I, I somehow mm -hmm. I wind up with the photos and um, that's awesome though. It is. But here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this though. The photos, it, it's a treasure to have these pictures of people that are gone and memories that you have. And oh even yeah. Before you're born, but a large majority of the pictures suck. <laughs> I don't oh, know how else yeah. to put it. They're yeah, they're blurry and awful or off center or not. Yeah, and, and I think you get spoiled by the kind oh. of pictures you can take today, where the only pictures you save are the ones that are perfect and look great, and you'll take it twenty times to get the best one. And so when I look at them, I get emotional, and I I'm I'm seeing all my relatives, but I just keep thinking, God, if only. <laughs> If only they'd gotten a better shot. Wow. If yeah. only they had tried oh, yeah. that again. And, uh, you know, everything's blurry. <laughs> yep. So, yep. so, yeah, it, it's not it's that that was just a product of the time, I guess. But oh, um, yeah, no, I think the same thing. Like, oh, if only that person would have like just turned around or if only they'd be facing the camera a little bit more you know you have like three people that are sort of facing the camera but then one person it's just like their profile or I know I know because I mean I know and I'm grateful for like the couple that I have but I just think gosh because I have I guess it sounds weird to say but I have so many like snapshots in my mind of right. all of the things like um I think I, I had started to say the the one of the the things that I distinctly remember, and I always tease my dad when we see signs for Dairy Queen when we're on the road or on the highway and like the, the you know, along the side of the road where it says like food and then it's like the Dairy Queen or whatever um, with whatever other restaurants there are. And I always say, because when we were um, the summer that he was in Kansas City that he worked for Bob Geigel, um, I think it was like 81, um, there was a, Bobby Jaggers, Bobby Hangman, Bobby Jaggers, um, rode with with him a lot in this in that that year, and um, 
Bobby, Bobby Jaggers, every time there'd be a sign for, you know, he'd, he'd be, he'd always be in the very back of the van and um, he'd be like, DQ, JJ, DQ, you know, cause he'd, he'd always want him to stop like to get more, more <laughs> scream. So, and we don't, we don't, I mean, he doesn't really ever stop for DQ anymore, but he doesn't <laughs> want it, but it just like, it cracks me up because he remembers, like, as soon as I say DQ, JJ, you know, <laughs> he always says, oh, Bobby Jaggers. Cause what does he say? He says he would, he would lie. Even if the truth was a better story. <laughs> that's great it's just that's his uh that's his uh impression of dear departed bobby jaggers may he rest in peace he was an entertaining entertaining person but so i i want to ask because of all, all these stories and and the experiences and just have you know being on the road summers with your dad and just what an unusual uh and not typical uh mm -hmm. childhood kind of thing um, if you don't mind me asking, how did your mom feel about all this? Was she like, oh, your dad, you know, did she have an issue with this? Or was she like, your dad is nuts, he's a wrestler, and this is what it is? I mean, how did she feel about having you do all this? Or, you know, I mean, if that's something that you don't want to get into, we don't have oh, to. No, I will tell you, uh, my mom and my mother and father are very opposite. Hmm. So... I did not share much about, um, I didn't share a lot of details other than, um, like the, like, oh, we, I went to see the Alamo. We went to see, um, you know, Dealey Plaza. And I went up in the Reunion Tower. And I went to see, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I, I, I knew enough to know not to, like. But, but though, if she, she had been married to him, so she did know what life on the road was like she had to have some idea right I well mean. he was yeah i mean he was she knew because like the people that were in their wedding um were wrestlers he was just kind of trying to really break into the business um at that point she was not um as immersed if you will i think so um, I like, I guess, so how can I say, like, I knew what would have caused big problems for everyone. <laughs> um, I, it sounds terrible because now it's like, I know what she would say. She would say like, you were lying by omission. <laughs> That's what she would say. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe this is when I started being protective of him. I don't know. I've been in therapy for so long. I think I, <laughs> I have a. I think I now have to add a few more things to talk about. No, um, I'm. I'm not. I'm not going to ask about that, obviously. But I will just because you know that's private stuff. But I will just have one comment: is that I can only imagine a therapist having no knowledge of 
this crazy business and, and what 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 they would make of of the kinds of stories and things and i mean i'm i'm not asking you to comment but that is uh, what a thought that is to for a therapist to go wait what happened you know that kind yeah. of thing yeah <laughs> well yeah and the thing is what i what i will say is there you know it does there's no doubt that um you know you're when you're growing up, whatever it is you're around, whatever your environment it is, um, whatever it is, I mean, that's where your perception is created. You know what I mean? Right. And your perception is your reality as you're growing up. Like that's the lens that you're looking at the world through. So um, it does, I mean, that like, that's, that's, that's true. I mean, that's true, I think, for anybody in whatever situation they're in. So I think it's it's probably a definitely a unique, a unique situation. Um, not not without, I'm sure, um challenges, but I'm sure that can be said for a whole lot of other things, you know, and people too. So <laughs> and, and how did your how did your dad um feel about it? Because I'm thinking, you know, there are stories obviously of of wrestlers who take their family on the road or sometimes they might take their wife or their kids or, or just a wife or just the kids. And, you know, um, especially in that era, I mean, wrestling locker rooms and arenas and the whole wrestling lifestyle w- was not the optimal place for a kid. And, and I don't think this is a sexist thing to say, but especially a, a young girl. I mean, in those days when it was all, men you didn't have uh, as many women wrestlers around it was a much more of a boys club um how did your dad was he was this is this something that that bothered him or made him overprotective or did he or did did it not concern yeah. him like what was his attitude towards having this this young girl that he's taking everywhere with him that he's got to keep an eye on and worry about all the time um i think i don't I think um, whatever the the message was about, as far as, I mean, no one bothered me. Um, so I think that was a message that, you know, kind of was like made clear. I mean, he was, you know, he was pretty established by that point. So I don't think, you know, like he had any concern to say like, hey, that's, you know, my daughter, like you know right but but, um, but they knew who you were though i'm assuming right yeah yeah everybody i mean yeah yeah everybody knew who i was people were were nice you know everybody was pretty nice to me um as far as my my dad and his like extracurricular um activities like especially when when he and i were you know on like out on the road for an extended time together um i mean they're like he, uh, when I was younger, um, I would, I would, uh, you know, there would be somebody that would like entertain me or, <laughs> or if my dad had to slip away, <laughs> uh, oh my God. you know, I was, yep. I was, 
I was occupied or, um, you know, taken to get something to eat or something like that um, by somebody that he knew. So I wasn't just like left, you know, right. um, Fending for myself. But when I was, when I was really, you know, those, the first couple of years, um, I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty open about that. He's, you know, he's open to about, you know, I've seen the good, the bad, you know, and everything. And I always say like, Oh, I don't remember the bad. I don't think I was ever, you know, put in danger or anything like that. There was probably a lot of stuff I, you know, shouldn't have seen or whatever, but I mean, I think um, it was such a different time too. It was like such a different world and yeah, you know, it, it was what it was. So I still wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, I really wouldn't. Well, it's such a unique experience. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just, uh, uh, I mean, if you want to just escape from the hamster wheel of life and the regular <laughs> everyday rules of life that everybody has to follow, that's the world yeah. to do it. I mean, I in my own limited time on the road now and then with WWE, you do get the sense of like, this is a world unto itself. And you, yes. could, you could do things here if you wanted and say things that you would never do or say in, in right. normal everyday life. I remember even times, because just the, the sense of humor and the jokes and the things that are said, there would be times even just in my own limited way, because it would also bleed over into the office world as well, where I would be in my normal life with friends or family, and, and I would say something that I thought was hilarious and that would normally pop whoever I was with, and I would forget who I was with, and they would be like, <laughs> Brian, what what is wrong with you? Why would you say that? Why would you make fun of that? And I would think, oh, my God, I forgot. I'm in the normal world now. I can't say this. You know, or or do you ever find yourself like you know you can't say it, but you think it, and you yes. just you're laughing like yes. hysterically, but you really yes. can't. You yes. can't. Like, yes. I'm sorry. Or I I've had the experience where I'm with somebody who has the same, who's from the same world, or they have the same sense of humor and thing, and will be in a situation where you can't say something, and you're thinking, I can't even look at this person because if i look we're both going to start laughing it's going to look really bad and i just have to look down and not say or do anything yes definitely that happens yeah yep oh yes so So. was was there like a a community of other kids of wrestlers that you knew or that that were on the road too or or do no were you you were the only one (laughs) oh my god as far as i mean i was kind of the only one there were um there were kids. That's what was, that was what was strange. Like, um, I remember, you know, in, in Texas, uh, there was like at the apartment, at the apartment complex, um, in, in Dallas, there was, um, um, Mr. Mr. Hito, Hito Adachi, um, who was, he, he worked for, um, Stu Hart, uh, him and Sakurada and uh, his, like they lived there, you know, Hito, his wife, his kids. So when we were home, like I'd play with his kids at the pool. Um, my stepmother had uh, her two nieces that became like sisters to me, but they didn't really go on the road with us unless my stepmother would go. Like if the matches were local, then maybe we'd all go. But as far as like, 
just the kid and the the father generally not. So I, you know, get to know other kids in that way. Um, Like when Flair would come to town, um, uh, like in Florida, when he would come to town, Beth, who was his wife for many years, um, Beth would come. And this was, of course, before, uh, you know, Ashley was that Ashley and, and Reed. Um, but Beth would come and Beth would bring uh, Megan and David. So they would come and like we'd all go to the beach um, or go to the pool. There was a, I think it was like Mean Jean Okerlund or somebody had a, a place at Indian Rocks. And I think Mike Graham had a place at Indian Rocks. So Mike Graham's kids would be there and like, flares kids would be there and we'd all be at the beach and stuff together. But like, I'd still go on the road with my dad, um, right. but they wouldn't like, they wouldn't go. Well, they, Mike Graham had a, you know, <laughs> right. that would have never, you know, so it, it just, I'd know uh, their kids and their families, but not, not on the road. Like that was, I'd know like there are other people on the road, but you know, and that was kind of odd too, because it was like, Right. I'd know both, you know, I'd know the wife, I'd know the girlfriend, I'd know, you know. It's almost like being in the mafia, right? It's like, it's like when you see something like people, if people watch Goodfellas and you see like, um, you know, the people that like you're saying, I'm friends with the wife. I'm friends with the girlfriend. I'm friends yes. with this family. I'm friends with the other family that nobody knows about or or this kid yeah. and then this kid that doesn't know that this kid even exists. Right. Yeah, right. You you do see a lot of things. No and question it's strange. About it. Like it is kind of strange that my dad never, but it was like all kind of by that point, it was like all understood. Like, mm-hmm. but we never talked about it. We never talked. It's like it's like the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. You know what I mean? We never. Right. Well, it's that old thing. What what happens on the road stays on the road. Was yeah. was the old but, was the old mantra. But he never even said like, don't ever say. It was just kind of like I guess he knew. I knew not to say anything. Like don't go home and be telling Jeanette, who was his, you know, my stepmother at home. Right. And certainly don't go back to Pennsylvania and tell your mother. Like, Right. Just, you'll, you'll never be back on the road with me again if you do. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess it was. So, so did you, I know that you, you were talking about David Flair and, and he was, I, I guess, Ashley, who for people listening know better today as Charlotte, Charlotte yes. Flair. Um, Ashley and Reed were from a later marriage, right? Were they not? Of, well, no, Ashley and Reed were Beth. They, but this was before they were born. But they were Beth's right. children. But Beth, Beth and Rick were married at the time. But Beth would go and get um, Megan and David. Beth was their stepmother. Right. Um, okay. When Rick would have them during the time or whatever in the summer and bring them to spend time with Rick. But then she would, you know. Obviously, he's working and stuff. So she would bring him to the beach, bring him to the pool. She loved those kids like they were her own. I mean, she she absolutely loved them. And then she had um, Ashley, who I did, you know, meet as a as a newborn baby. Um, uh, when they because they lived in Charlotte, that was during like the, you know, the Crockett days. Um, and then Reed. um which you know that's obviously like very tragic, but yeah, read yeah. Uh, later. But yeah, Beth was 
Rick was married to Beth by that time. And Beth was, yeah, Beth was Megan and David's stepmother, but she would, she would be the one that would bring them, you know, to the, to the beach and to the pool and bring them to Florida. They didn't live in Florida, but when Rick would come to like defend the belt through the Florida territory, they would bring the kids down, you know, go to the beach, do the, the stuff, you know, um, just to have the kids have fun over the summer and do different things which was fun. I mean, it was fun because it was fun. You know, David was a hoot. He was just a little kid. Megan was a sweetheart. She was probably, you know, at that time, maybe like eight or nine. Right. Um, So, you know, and Rick is Rick, you know, I mean, and Rick is Rick. I always loved when when Rick would come to town. It was like, I mean, everybody loved even like it's 15 years old. Like I'd never, you know, I mean, you just Rick's the type even now, like you just love being around him, you know, I mean, He's just, he's still like, you just, you know, after his, his match um, in July, like, I mean, I loved seeing him there, loved seeing him, you know, um, my dad after his match was over. And I know, you know, I don't know, I guess we were there obviously. And which again, I just felt so, so lucky and privileged to be able to be there. Um, And being there, you know, it, it, it was, it was good. It was entertaining. It was good. Like the whole show was great. Um, I, I don't know if it just like didn't translate well on, on TV I think, or something. I think people were just really worried about him. That's all. I mean, you know, worried I mean, that something bad was going to happen, you know? Yeah. But you know, I, I think, um, I don't know if you knew him, you, you had, you had to know that he was going to go out there and just leave it all there. Like he was not going to hold back on anything. Like, and if anybody thought that he was going to be cautious or anything else, I don't think they really know anything about him. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But honestly, That's true. but um, you know, as soon as that match, as soon as the match was over and of course everybody, like they sort of herded everybody up the um, you know, to go back through the curtain just rather than walk um, through the crowd. So my dad wanted to right away, go back and, and see him and we walk back into the into the dressing room and stuff and it's like you just I mean anytime you see him and like you just he sees you and and you know his eyes like he just I don't know there's always just something about there's something special about him but yeah I would love when he when he came to town even back then and he'd come I don't know how many times over the summer but I always look forward to that and Beth she was always great I mean she was she was always a lot of fun and just really sweet and the kids were great. So that was always a good time. But those yeah. are, those are all part of like, there's so many memories, you know, it's like, as you think of it and you go through, there's just so much. So. I know. And I, and I feel like we could talk for hours about yeah. it because there are so many and I can't believe how fast the hour has gone, but I'm, yes, mean, I'm sorry if I was rambling. N- too. No, much. <laughs> please. No. If see, if I'm rambling, that's the problem. If, oh. if the, if the guest is talking a lot, that's kind of the goal. So oh, okay. I don't mind that. That's sort of why I wanted you to come on because I know that, you know, well, I didn't know, but I assumed that you had a very unique experience, especially when you first told me, I can't remember when it was that you used to travel a lot with your dad as a kid. That's when I remember even thinking like, wow, I would love to talk more about this because yeah. What an unusual experience that had to have been not only just being the child of a wrestler and seeing the business, but also even in that time period, you know what I mean? In that kind of wild west era. So (laughs) 
That's a um, great way to describe it. <laughs> you did not disappoint. I'll just say that. And there's definitely going to be a part two because if you don't mind, I mean, that's oh, no, I'd love to anytime. I mean, I, I always, I feel like talk, like talking to you, it's like, I mean, just from, from the time that I met you, which it's so funny. Cause I just have to quickly say, I didn't know. I didn't even know when I met you that you were there for the hall of fame. When we met at the bar up there, I just, you just were such a nice guy. And then it was like, like, I don't even know what we were talking about. And then it was just like, Oh, like this, you were just, I don't even know. Like, I don't even, I don't even remember. And then just talking to my dad and it was like, um, I don't know, like you have such a good, like just positive. So I feel like I'm talking to a friend when I'm talking to you, like a friend that I've known for much longer than a year. So I, I need to any time I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm so thrilled that this was my first my first official podcast. Um, I know. I'm honored that you even more so that you that you agreed to do it. Thank you, yeah. and and I'm glad that we are now friends. And and yes, I look forward me to too. And I got to meet your lovely wife at Colorado Rally Club, which is That's even right. greater because she is she's awesome. <laughs> yes, she is. And and let me tell you, it's very. She also deserves like combat pay for putting up with a lot, all the wrestling stuff over the years, which I'm sure is nothing I need to explain to you, but um, getting her to go to CAC is a lot easier because it's Vegas. So, you know, it's not, it'd be a lot easier than say Albany, no offense, Seth Turner, president of the IPWHF, but yes, Las Vegas is a lot more attractive to a non-fan, you know, and she always makes the, her deal is always, I'll come with you. I want you know, it's Las Vegas, but I get to pick where we stay. And so that is typically why we don't stay in the same hotel. We usually are in some other, you know, she'll pick like her favorite place to go. And that's sort of the deal that we make. So, but yeah, I'm so glad that she gets to meet, uh, that she got to meet you and so many other people too, that I, you know, I'm, I'm usually around without her. So that was cool. Yeah. And I hope you'll, I hope you'll both be back next year. I think so. I I see no reason why they seem to now post pandemic have, I don't know if they're just permanently have switched it to September or if they're going to go back. I think so. Yes. I believe it's going to stay in September. I think everybody seems to like that. I don't Um, mind it, but the one tricky thing is that it's at the beginning of the school year. So uh, that that's why I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I know I'll be there. I'm hoping that Jamie will be there with me. Uh, I guess some of it depends on school schedules and getting babysitting and things like that, you know? Yeah. All right. But I'll be there anyway. All right. So, so Pam, thank you. This has been a pleasure and I'm so, I'm so glad that you did this. Anytime, anytime. I'll look forward to to, uh, talking with you again and thank you so much for having me. There you have it folks. My candid and wonderful interview with Pam Morrison. That was a delight and and a pure joy for me to do. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Thank you again to Pam for coming on the show and speaking so freely about her experiences, her childhood, her very unique uh, times with her dad, the great J.J. Dillon. That really was a blast. Hope you liked it. And uh, keep listening. Keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle because on next week's show, we go back into the territory of former WWE corporate employees that Brian Solomon worked with. A favorite subtopic of Shut Up and Wrestle episodes. 
this week, uh, or rather next week for episode 43, it's going to be Chris Goff, who I knew as Big Country back when he worked in the dot-com department, also eventually became a a TV uh, producer and worked with the TV creative writing team. He had some great stories to tell, and we'll share them next week. Plenty of other guests coming up in the weeks to come. We've also got uh, Irish Mickey Doyle heading on the way as a future Shut Up and Wrestle guest. I am working on interviews very soon to be with the great photographer George Napolitano, as well as another former employee of uh, WWE and a very good friend of mine, Marco Torelli. I'll tell you more about him as we get a little closer. Not to mention that I have indeed, and I'm proud to say I have landed the interview that I wanted to get with the great Dean of Wrestling Journalists, Mr. Bill Apter. That's right, William Stanley Apter, coming to a future episode of Shut Up and Wrestle. So keep listening to this show. And there's so many ways that you can. As you know, our website is suawpod.com. And you can also find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Wherever you find your quality podcasts, you'll find Shut Up and Wrestle. And I urge you, as always, to join the Facebook group that we have, Shut Up and Wrestle, with Brian R. Solomon. Lots of great discussions happening there all the time. Video being shared, photos being shared, questions being asked. It's a hoot. Please join. Um, I mentioned Inside the Ropes magazine at the top of the show, insidetheropesmagazine.com. Also, if you want to read my articles in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, go to pwi-online.com. My book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic. I do have autographed copies. Anyone interested, please shoot me an email at Solomon at yahoo.com. You can also buy uh, copies directly from Amazon. They will not be autographed, but you can buy them in print, digital, or audiobook format. Still available. Um, Of course, the wrestling news. I would be remiss if I did not mention it. How proud I am of this project and being a part of it. Going strong now, giving you your morning dose of wrestling news in your ear. Please be listening from Arcadian Vanguard, another amazing production of AV. Um, If you are looking for me on social media directly, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. And you can also find my author Facebook page, which is Brian Solomon Writer. And at any one of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author web page on the World Wide Web. Um, Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that just when you think you have all the answers, I change the questions. So long, wrestling fans. 